I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's really debunk some stuff. Now, if you follow the Facebook page, you'll see I just debunked a very cool-looking video of some ape-like creatures, I guess you'd call them, and they're doing some kind of ceremony in a cave by some water somewhere. Well, as cool as that video was, and it is cool, it's also bullshit. And let me tell you right now, so is everything else I'm about to talk about, apart from the shout-outs in the news. Those people are cool and real. The episode is all about debunking things that people send me, or ask me about, or repost ad nauseum online. I'm looking at you websites that constantly post, you won't believe this is true, this is real, this is blah blah blah. No, it's bullshit. But as always, before we get to that, let's start with the shout-outs. Here we go. Manning, Jeff, Megan, Kat, Martin, Lash, Kira, Maggie, hi Maggie, Laura, O, Anthony, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Angie, Matt, Laura, Chuck, Travis, Sarah, Amber, David, Nanashi, Michaela, Heidi, Rachel, Lindsay, Juliana, Edgar, Sarah, Jay, Mark, Carolyn, Jim, Jade, Carolyn, Pablo, Laura, Shani, Jeff, Dill, Laura, Daniel, Laura, and a special shout-out to Liza. Happy birthday, Liza, from Parker, and happy birthday, Liza, from me. Go to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. You guys are the best. Before I get to paranormal news, let me pause by saying, yes, I mispronounced La Llorona on the Woman in White episode. La Llorona. And boy, did I hear about it. I apologize. A whole lot of you let me know. And yes, I know I mispronounced it. And again, I apologize. When I have the ability to go back in time, I will stop past Kurt from messing up that name and then changing the timeline where you guys don't have to send me all these things saying I mispronounced it. I mispronounced it. I admit it. I apologize. Thank you guys for calling me out. I want you guys to call me out when I do something that's wrong. No, actually, I don't. Don't do that. Forget that. Scratch that part. Also, it's amazing how many listeners have either had an encounter with a woman in white or know someone who's had an encounter. I got way more personal stories about this than I ever have about listener ghost stories. So it was incredible to hear about even more variances around the world, but I mostly just heard about my bad pronunciation. Once again, I am sorry. With that, let's move on to paranormal news. There's only one story, but it's a big one. I talked about this before, but now there's even more speculation that I really hope turns out to be true. Did we just get buzzed by aliens on a massive scale? Well, that mysterious cigar-shaped object that tumbled through our solar system last year may have been an alien spacecraft sent to investigate Earth. And that's from astronomers from Harvard University. The object, nicknamed Umaumau, 
meaning a messenger that reaches out from the distant past in Hawaiian, was discovered in October 2017 by the Pan-STARRS-1 telescope in Hawaii. Since its discovery, scientists have been at odds to explain its unusual features and precise origins, with researchers first calling it a comet, then an asteroid, before finally deeming it the first of its kind, a new class of interstellar objects. A new paper by researchers at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics raised the possibility that the elongated dark red object, which is 10 times as long as it is wide and traveling at speeds of 196,000 miles per hour, might have, quote, an artificial origin. They go on to say that Umamau may be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to Earth's vicinity by an alien civilization. The theory is based on the object's excess acceleration or its unexpected boost in speed as it traveled through and ultimately out of our solar system in January. Considering an artificial origin, one possibility is that Umamau is a light sail floating in interstellar space as a debris from an advanced technological equipment. So, does this prove that it's an alien spacecraft? No. But, it proves that scientists don't exactly know what it is, where it came from, how it sped up, how it was designed or happened to be in the shape that it was when it passed by us. It's very interesting, and even more so, it's very telling how open scientists' minds are to the possibility of alien spacecraft now. And that's important. That's really important. That's what we want from our scientists. Just the possibility that it has an alien origin. Just the possibility. It's all we're asking. Okay, let's see. I went down the list. Hi, Maggie. I did the news story. I did the special shout out to Liza. With that, let's get to the debunking. The following are bullshit. You have probably seen most, if not all of these, on websites, podcasts, TV shows, videos, YouTube, Facebook, and more. They tell you all about these amazing true stories and how they're proof of demons, aliens, ghosts, UFOs, whatever. But the following stories are bullshit. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, I'm not saying that nothing happened at all, but I am saying the popular stories that are on a ton of podcasts and websites are bullshit. So with that, first up is the Topanga Canyon UFO incident. This one's been getting a lot of heat lately on podcasts. I get why. It's a great story. If you didn't do any research at all and you just regurgitated this great story, I'm sure you got a ton of listeners going, oh my God, that's amazing. But it's bullshit. Okay, here's the bullshit story. All of these incidents have one source and one source alone. It's a crappy book that I'm not naming. In this book, the author describes hundreds of sightings from June 1992 and it was constant for two years straight. Supposedly so constant that people would sit out at night on a regular schedule and watch the UFOs pass by. If that already doesn't ring as bullshit to you, you gotta turn up your bullshit meter just a little bit. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna be saying bullshit a lot in this episode, so if you've got kids and you don't want them hearing the word bullshit, um, don't listen to it in front of them because, you know, bullshit. Okay, 
One of the stories is that Mimi Smith was driving on the main street late at night in November of 1994 when she stopped to watch what looked like a sheep crossing the road. She says, It was shaped like a sheep, and its head was round and placed lower on its body, and appeared as almost as if it had waggled on some kind of spring. It moved like it glided along. As I looked at it, I saw that its eyes, well, were like holes with nothing there. You could see through them. If you looked at the thing's eyes, you could see the fence posts in back of it. Smith saw the same unnerving specter a few months later in the same location. No, she didn't. Also, one couple had so many visits over the period that they could just about predict when and what would appear. And that's how common these sightings were, supposedly. In fact, four people all in one night had an encounter. Now, some sites have audio of two men reporting a UFO to 911. Well, here's the problem with that. There is no such 911 call that was ever made. There supposedly was a call made to the UFO reporting center, but A, no, and B, there's no way to say it's legit at all. And there's no way to say it was recorded when the Topanga Canyon UFO incident supposedly took place. You can go to YouTube. You can listen to this really crappy reenactment, but they say is true. It's not. So supposedly it occurred at 1230 at night. Two of the three eyewitness groups were coming from Gladstones in Malibu. Here's the problem with that. Gladstones closed at 10 p.m. So both sets of eyewitnesses who said they were coming directly from Gladstones, well, what the hell were they doing for two and a half hours? I don't buy it. Almost all eyewitness reports are bullshit in this case without names or specific names or any kind of credible corroboration. It is BS. Now, supposedly the FAA and the Air Force gave one set of these witnesses the number to the UFO Research Center. Because that's what they do. That doesn't happen ever. Malibu PD said three others reported the same thing. No, they didn't. No reports can be found. Now, supposedly this happened up to Panga Canyon Road when they were leaving Gladstones. They were winding up through the roads when all of a sudden a silent pie-shaped object or a saucer-shaped object with a rim around it appeared. Now, I give you two different descriptions because that's what the caller says. He changes the description as he's talking about it. Anyhow, this craft appeared above them. Next, there's a bright light, like a beam of light, if you will. It's so bright, it's almost blinding. They turned their car around, going back down the canyon. Try doing that on Topanga Canyon. It's not easy. Supposedly, the craft hums like a transformer, and their engine just died. So they get out to run away. Well, that didn't seem to work, because they immediately got back in the car and started down to PCH. Why did they get back in the car when it was dead and they were being chased? It doesn't say. How did the car start all of a sudden? It doesn't say. Anyhow. So this man and woman that are being chased by a UFO. Well, they say they got blisters on the backs of their hands, sunburnt face and chests, and went to the Cedar sinai emergency room. No doctor's name was ever given on the call. And supposedly, they went to Cedar sinai just after the incident. And both were checked out and released within an hour after the incident happened. You see a problem there? 
go to any emergency room, see a doctor, see how long it takes you to see a doctor, see the doctor, and get out of there. It's not going to happen within an hour. Also, these supposed witnesses had nausea and diarrhea. The UFO followed them for a full 10 minutes and then just went away. The guy on the phone says that he talked to an Officer Burns at Malibu PD. There is no evidence of an Officer Burns that I can find. I'm not saying he's not there, but I couldn't find him. Look, there is just no evidence of any UFOs being reported other than the crappy book you shouldn't buy on Amazon. If the event was as big as he said, it would be a bigger story than Roswell or the attack on LA or the Phoenix Lights or whatever. We're talking about hundreds of sightings, weird alien sheep, burns, 911 calls. One witness supposedly had his car levitated up into the air only to be dropped again. This would be a major global event, but it's not for good reason. It's bullshit. Okay, so you see where I'm going with this one. So next up we have the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Look, I take no pleasure in debunking these things. The video is great. If you don't know what they are, they're these cute, little, long-legged, no-armed aliens just kind of jauntily walking across the lawn. Basically, they're Muppet aliens, and I love them. But they're also Muppet aliens for good reason. Spoiler. They are also known as the Fresno aliens. And these alien entities have been sighted in the city of Fresno, California, and later in California's Yosemite National Park. Now, supposedly, the original footage dates back to the 90s. It was shot by a man named Jose, no last name, and it was shot because he installed security cameras to prove his neighbor's dog was pooping in his yard. Now, the now-famous video, which you can find on YouTube, but you can also find it on the Paranormal Almanac Facebook, because I'm going to put it there because I want you to see this video. Now, anyhow, this video is actually a video of a video. Apparently, the person that uh, shot the video didn't know how to get it off of the tapes. So when he was showing it to somebody, they pointed their camera at the monitors. So it's a video of a video. But anyhow, this video shows two pale, long-legged, tiny little alien thingies striding across the lawn from upper left to lower right. Now, the video that's been seen by millions, like I said, is a video of a TV playing the video, so it's even worse looking than it should have been. But that actually might help the person who created this, because the quality is so bad, it could be a kid with his arms in his sweatpants walking by, but you don't know because of the quality. This bad quality is actually hiding, probably, how it was done allegedly. Now, MUFON got a copy of it, and they showed it at some event where it was filmed there and shown online. So depending on which copy you see on YouTube, it's either a copy of a copy or a copy of a copy of a copy. And like I said, it's so bad that it covers any fishing lines or digital trickery. And later, another video showed the Nightcrawlers came out again. But this one was almost instantly proved to be either CGI or stilt walkers wearing bedsheets. Like I said, it doesn't need to be high tech. It looks so bad, it was instantly debunked. But anyhow, back to the tale. So after the Fresno Nightcrawlers became an internet sensation, people wanted a backstory for them. So badly, 
that they made one up. Or, depending on who you believe, believe me because they're bullshit, there is a backstory. Because later, wooden sculptures were found, these huge wooden sculptures, were found that prove that the local Native Americans knew about these nightcrawlers for centuries, and they called them Earth Fairies. And that the beings have reportedly been recognized by at least one local Native American tribe, if not more. Except, no, it didn't. There are no Native American tales about Earth Fairies at all. There is no Earth Fairies that any Native American tribe has ever talked about, and the sculptures are just some sort of art thing that was probably inspired by the Nightcrawler videos, because A, no one seems to know where the hell they even are, and no photos of them are found prior to the Nightcrawler's story, the original Nightcrawler story, from the 90s. It's not that long ago. Now, people have been looking from California to New Jersey to Florida for these supposed sculptures that are supposedly outside a DMV, but guess what? No one's found them. Now, these sculptures definitely exist because there's photos of them that are very clear and very recent. But no one seems to know where they are. So if no one knows where these sculptures are, how are they tying it to the Native Americans and tying it to the Fresno Nightcrawlers? They aren't, because it's bullshit. Now, like I said, there's been two videos of these creatures. One, disproven right away. And the other one, so poorly duplicated that it's fishy at best. One of the creatures in that first video, well, the legs don't really move, and it seems to sort of just glide and then stop when it gets towards the bottom right of the screen. And it appears to stop because it ran out of string. Also, it swings back and forth and up and down, just like a marionette. So the best way to debunk them is to recreate them. And I don't have to do it because that is exactly what a guy did in 2015. Now, he showed a couple of different ways it could have been easily recreated, but his best way, and the best way, in my opinion, was with fishing line and puppetry. And honestly, I gotta say, it looks pretty damn good. Now, all in all, they're fun and dorky-looking aliens, but they've been easily debunked, so they're bullshit. Alrighty, let's move on. The next one is the face on Mars. I can't believe that people really still believe this one. Or the pyramids of Mars, for that matter because they're supposedly right next to the face on Mars. But okay, here's the story. The Viking 1 orbiter in 1976 sent back pictures from Mars. Now these were our best pictures yet. And one of them seemed to show a face. Like a face looking right back at us. Now some people says it looks half human, half lion. Some people think it's just a humanoid face. Some people think it looks like the gray aliens, but it's a face nonetheless. Now, I saw this as a kid, and I was convinced it was proof of aliens on Mars or that we came from Mars. After ruining Mars, we left it, we traveled here, and inhabited Earth. How else could there be a face on Mars? Then, back then, I learned that there were pyramids next to the face in the exact same pattern and placement as our pyramids here on Earth. Holy shit! This DNM pyramid is the exact size and placement as the Great Pyramid of Giza here on Earth. Alright, so that's the BS. Here's the truth. Yes, NASA took some photos with the Viking 1 orbiter in 1976. One of those photos did come back to look like a face. Next to that face, there were some 
indeterminate objects that might have kind of, sort of, looked like a pyramid. That's about as true as this story gets, because since 1976, far better photographs have been taken of Mars, for example, by the Mars Global Surveyor in 1998. They show that the area is heavily eroded, it's just a hillside, and that the quote-unquote face was simply a combination of low image resolution and tricks of light and shadow and nothing more, nothing less. It's not even a face a little bit if you just look at the newer photographs. And I know you conspiracy theorists out there are saying, of course that's what they want you to think. They wanted to go back to, quote, disprove the face on Mars. We can't have a bunch of people running around thinking there's a face on Mars. Well, I can't prove that they didn't, but it doesn't look like a face anymore. It looks to me just like a regular mountain, and it also looks to me like a known psychological phenomenon called pareidolia. The psychological phenomenon that causes some people to see or hear a vague or random image or sound as something significant, like a face on Mars. Also, while we're going down this rabbit hole, the placement of the face on Mars has no significance to anything on Earth. We know the exact longitude and latitude of the one on Mars. It's 40.75 degrees north latitude and 9.46 degrees west longitude, which if you never investigated it, people say are the exact coordinates here on Earth of the Pyramids of Giza. And it lines up so perfectly that the Sphinx is the face and then the pyramids are off to the side, just like the face on Mars. Well, here's the problem. Now, you can easily Google this. The placement of the face on Mars, once again, 40.75 degrees north latitude and 9.46 degrees west longitude is nothing but empty land in Somali, Ethiopia. For reference, Egypt is at 26.82053 by 30.802498. Nope, doesn't match at all, not even a little bit. I can keep debunking these little things from the face on Mars, but actually, I don't want to anymore. Sorry, face on Mars believers, I wanted to believe it too, but until we get to Mars and investigate it ourselves, the face on Mars is just an illusion as far as I'm concerned. Believe what you want, but the rest of the story is BS. How can one part of the story be not BS? I'm sorry, it doesn't add up. Next up, we have the Marfa lights. Now, I'm just going to read you the story from Wikipedia before I debunk it, because frankly, it's right there in Wikipedia. I don't need to alter it at all. I'm letting you know now, I'm reading it from Wikipedia. For those people who say I don't do any research, I do. This I'm going to debunk, so I'm just going to read you the Wikipedia step first. The Marfa lights, also known as the Marfa ghost lights, have been observed near U.S. Route 67 on Mitchell Flat East of Marfa, Texas in the United States. They have gained some fame as because onlookers have ascribed them to paranormal phenomena such as ghosts, UFOs, or will-o'-the-wisp. The Marfa lights of West Texas have been called many names over the years, such as ghost lights, weird lights, mystery lights, or shenadi lights. The favorite place from which to view these lights is a widened shoulder on Highway 90 about nine miles east of Marfa. This is the official Marfa lights viewing center. Now the lights are most often reported as rather distant bright lights distinguishable from ranch lights and automobile headlights on Highway 67. 
Remember, this is the BS part. Yes, those lights are real. You can go there right now if it's nighttime. You could go there right now. You will see these lights. That's not the bullshit part. They do look like mysterious orbs of light that suddenly appear above the desert foliage. They remain stationary as they pulse on and off with intensely varying from dim to almost blinding brilliance. That part is true. They do seem to dart across the desert or perform splits and mergers. The light colors are usually yellow-orange, but other hues including green, blue, and red are also seen. That is all true. The lights have been seen since the 19th century. The earliest anecdote commonly cited as an observation of the Marfa lights is what the cowboy Robert Reed Ellison in March 1883 said. He was herding cattle through the Paisano Pass. Paisano? Paisano Pass? Doesn't matter. If I said it wrong, don't correct me. Across the Marfa Plain. The lights were next reported in 1885 by Joe and Ann Humphreys. So these lights have been around for a while, but they've been increasing since the 50s. Now look, I love the Marfa lights. Even knowing they aren't paranormal, I love them. Sadly, the Marfa lights aren't spirits or aliens or ghosts or anything else. They are, in fact, superior mirages where warmer air sits on top of cooler air, which causes the magnification of headlights and torches back in the day and puts these lights up in the sky. It is simply caused by the atmosphere reflecting car headlights from the highway up into the sky. Don't take my word on this. They did a study at the viewing area and even found the lights increased when the traffic increased, and two different independent studies could even pinpoint which car was causing which light in the sky. Now, like I said, even with that said, it's an amazing illusion and worth going to witness. But the Marfa lights are not proof of ghosts, aliens, wills, what is it? Uh, will of the wisps? None of that. It's a really interesting, really neat phenomena. But science has proved it is not paranormal. All right, next up, I didn't even think I had to debunk this one, but... Sadly, there are many podcasts and websites still saying that this next one is real. It's not. It's bullshit. And it's called the Alien Autopsy Film. And in case you don't know, the story is in 1995, Fox showed the world a real found footage alien autopsy. It was 17 minutes long and from 1947. Producers Santilli and Shufield claimed to have bought the footage from a retired military cameraman in the U.S., but they refused to identify him because of privacy concerns, you know. And a supposed private investigator hired by Fact or Fiction's producers couldn't track him down either. Yeah, right. Continuing the BS, a TV show hosted by British TV presenter and journalist Eamon Holmes, Eamon Holmes? Don't know, don't care called Eamon Investigates or Eamon Investigates Alien Autopsy. This one aired in Britain in 2006, and it featured Santilli admitting to Holmes that the film he sold Fox was a fake. Now, he claims that it was based on a real alien autopsy film, and he had seen the original in full once, but by the time he had gathered money to buy it, it became too damaged to use, and the alien body was created by a sculptor named John Humphreys, who was a special effects expert who worked on the sets of Doctor Who, and he says that the latex body cavities were filled with chicken entrails, sheep brains, 
purchased from a meat market near the North London flat in which the film was shot. So, they're already admitting this one's bullshit. One guy is saying, but no, no, no. It's based on something that was true. I saw it once, but then it degraded so badly that I couldn't use it. You couldn't use any of it? The film just crumbled to dust? I don't buy it. That's not how it works with film. Yes, film degrades, and degrades badly, but you still have at least one frame of that film left. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. But let's keep going. How do we know this one's bullshit besides the fact that the guy already said it was, and the guy that made the alien body has already said it was? Well, the phone cord is not the correct type from 1947. Neil deGrasse Tyson actually pointed this one out. The microphone was a 50s microphone, but some say that the microphone could be a Shure model from the early 40s, so take that one with a grain of salt. Experts have said that the film bore a bogus non-military code mark that was easily debunked, and that the injuries sustained by the extraterrestrial were inconsistent with an air crash, and that the person performing the autopsy held the scissors like a tailor rather than a pathologist. So no, it's not real. But that being said, I think there actually is a real copy of an alien autopsy out there. I don't believe the producers were ever shown it. I don't believe it's degraded beyond all recognition and it's destroyed. There are so many reports from just after World War II of army personnel being shown either alien bodies or the footage of the autopsy of alien bodies. So yes, this one is complete bullshit. These guys are full of shit. They made a movie. It made a lot of money. But there is a real one out there, and hopefully it survived this long and is still out there. All right, from there, let's go on to a ghost story. How is this next one still out there? It's easily debunkable within about a minute. Not even five minutes, one minute. There is an urban legend about three men and a baby. It's got uh, Ted Danson, Steve Gutenberg, Tom Selleck. But if you haven't watched it by now, you're probably not going to watch it. And don't watch it just for this because it's not real. But anyhow, there's an urban legend about three men and a baby and a ghost caught on film. In the film, they walk by a window and no one on the set, not the actors, not the director, not the cameraman, not the editors, noticed that the ghost of a boy was seen on the finished film right by the window. He was peeking out behind the curtains. It's a real ghost caught on film. No, it wasn't. All it is is a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson in a tux from the film. Nothing more, nothing less. Next up, levitating psychic Colin Evans, one of the most famous psychics in the 30s. This man drew huge crowds to theaters to see him. And just like modern-day fake psychics, he used most of the same BS tricks, but he was most well-known for his ability to levitate. He did it right there in front of people. He would levitate a couple of feet in the air. Well, sort of. Because he claimed the spirits would lift him, but would only do his levitation in complete darkness because the spirits were easily distracted. And as he was lifted by the spirits, a photographer would take a flash picture at random that would quickly show the audience that sure enough, he was floating right by the audience, right down there in the aisle. Well, here comes the BS. The photographer was actually Evans himself. He was caught with a cord leading from a device in his hand that took the flash photograph when he wanted it to be taken. And that all he did 
was jump into the air and pretend he was levitated. Now, this guy was so easy to debunk that even back then, magicians that knew he was a fake pointed out that Evans' blurred feet in the photographs are proof that he simply jumped into the air. So his power was the ability to jump in the dark. Nothing more, nothing less. If you look at these photos, it looks like he's jumping in the dark. It is really easy to debunk it. Yet, websites and podcasts say that psychic Colin Evans could levitate feet in the air in front of thousands of people. Technically, they're right, except for the fact it's all bullshit. Now, this next one up is an odder one, but I wanted to add it to this list for a very good reason. It's not so much a bullshit kind of debunk, but a debunk nonetheless. And it could be the explanation for some ghost sightings. Not all. Ghosts are real, as far as I'm concerned. The stuff that I've seen, heard, and felt proved to me personally that ghosts are real, but this could be an explanation for some ghost sightings. What am I talking about? Mold. Simply mold. Why? Well, science has proven that mold causes nausea, imbalance, and hallucinations. Some hallucinations known to be caused by mold are, you guessed it, ghost sightings. You can actually hallucinate hearing and seeing ghosts. That's how real these hallucinations get from mold. You are so crazy from the mold, you'll believe what you saw and even pass lie detector tests about it. Now think about where most people see ghosts. They're probably not in some shiny new building that was just built today. Sure, some are. I am not saying that ghosts are fake, but keep going with me. Most ghost sightings are in rundown, moldy buildings. Buildings that are about to fall over for being so rundown. That's where people see ghosts the most. It could be, not saying it's definitely, but it could be because of mold. Now again, I feel I have to reiterate this. I am not saying that all ghost sightings are because of mold. I don't believe that at all. I am saying it is fact that some ghost sightings have been caused by mold. Another thing that causes ghost stories that's quite interesting and quite odd is something called infrasound. There is a great true story of a lab that was supposedly haunted. A ghost was even seen by the people in the lab. Now, one of the scientists was also a fencer and brought his foil, or skinny sword, in to work on it before an exhibition. So he clamped it down and then noticed it was vibrating. But why? Well, I already told you the answer. It's infrasound. So infrasound is a sound at a certain frequency, a resonant frequency. Now, this one was 19 hertz, just below human hearing. Strong waves can cause uneasiness, dizziness, can affect your breathing, your blood pressure, and cause apparitions. How does infrasound cause apparitions? Well, your eyeball's resonant frequency is also 19 hertz. And yep, it caused vibrations and hallucinations. It was proven by science that infrasound was the ghost that people were seeing. How gross is that, that your eyeballs are vibrating at 19 hertz until you see a ghost? All right, this next one isn't really scientific. Well, it kind of is, but it's a quick one. Orbs. Cell phone cameras 
amplify water particles even more so than digital and regular cameras. It's easy to duplicate, and yes, even though I hate orbs, some orbs cannot be explained. But there are a ton that can be easily explained by water particles or dust. Again, where are you hunting ghosts? Probably in some dusty old penitentiary, or these places are dusty. Dust gets kicked up, it's reflected by the camera lens, or the flash especially, and that causes orbs. Now, if you've ever seen an orb, real orbs look very different from dust orbs. So, like I said, I'm not debunking all orbs, just some of them. Well, most of them. The next one is a personal favorite to debunk that I have mentioned slightly before. Yuri freaking Geller. Other people, not me, have debunked him. So, no need to sue me because I'm just telling you stories of what other people have said and how other people have debunked him, allegedly. World-famous debunker, the amazing James Randi, debunked Geller the best, so I'm going to let him tell you about it. The subject was Uri Geller, a young Israeli who claimed to have supernatural powers. His remarkable affinity for metal and his psychic abilities are well documented all over the world. In the early 1970s, Geller became a superstar, the most famous psychic in the world. Okay, just a second, look at me. Visualize everything that you drew once more. He claimed to read people's minds. I'm going to show what I got, and if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, but it really came very strong in. It could be two mountains with a round thing full. I, 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 Can I, I show? Yeah, I'd like to. Am I wrong? You're right. I'm right. That's what I got. He claimed to bend keys with his mind. I know you're going to think this is a setup, friends, and old Tom has never conned you on anything. This this guy <laughs> is bending this key by rubbing it. It was bent at about a, a, a one-degree angle when you started out, and it's coming up on 45 degrees now and still moving. <laughs> you're thinking bend. Is that what you're yes, doing? Yes, I'm saying bend. You're saying bend. Yes. Hard, soft. Uh, no, I'm saying bend, 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 and sometimes I say bend, baby. You know, but Geller was yes. best known for his way with spoons. Hold the tip of the spoon very, very gently. Okay. What I'm doing is I'm trying to melt the metal down. Yes, yes, I feel it. It's, it's going. It's getting loose. It. Yeah. And there's no force at all in my hands. Yes, look at my hands. There's no force at all. Look, the whole, you see it's becoming like plastic. The whole thing's ready to fall off. It's, it touch it here where I'm stroking it. There is absolutely no... That is eerie. <laughs> if you can see, the metal is beginning to crack here. It's breaking. And, yeah, you see? It's just look, it's, be, it's becoming, it's like putty wax. You see? Look. And keep, keep stroking it here. You see the crack? No, don't, don't. You see the crack is becoming bigger. Yeah. I melt the metal down, so, so. Oh. I want it to bend. I just say bend. Yeah, you melt it. No. What Geller was saying, effectively, was that wanting things could make them so. Who started working? I felt that claim had to be challenged. The media, even some scientists, were taking the Geller phenomena seriously. So I decided to show, for starters, that I could at least duplicate these effects using trickery. Now, a key can be displayed in such a way that it looks like it's bending. For example, just by stroking it, you'd swear that it's bending right up before your eyes. Magicians call this process ratcheting. But to do this, the key has to be bent in advance. The hard part, of course, is how to go about bending the key without letting them catch you. 
Now, there are several ways. I could, for example, take it and press the tip against the top of the table. That would do it. Or, in shifting my chair backwards or forwards, as I just did, I could have taken it and dropped it below the level of the table and pressed the tip on the chair I'm sitting on, which is exactly what I just did. And then, of course, there was Mr. Geller's appearance on The Tonight Show. I got a call after they booked him to appear. Will you welcome, please, Uri Geller. Johnny had been a magician himself and was skeptical. I was asked to help prevent any trickery. Nice to see you. Thanks. We, uh... We have only met... This scares me. This, this scares you? Well, this is just, we just got some things together here. And I told I them said, to provide their own props and not to let Yeller or his people anywhere uh, near them. Also, one of our staff members uh, did some drawings which have been sealed in an envelope. Uh, and I'd like you to take your own pace when you feel like you want to try anything. Right. Do you want to try that particular uh, experiment first? Well, I'll feel for it. Okay? Mm -hmm. Sure. We'll start eliminating the ones that do not have the water. No, without touching them. He is really suspicious, you know. I'm having a hard time with you. I, I don't mean to be, all right? I really no, don't. Just, just keep looking. Okay, let me rest a little, all right? All right. You know, I'm surprised because before this program, your producer came and he read me, please, 40 questions you're going to ask me. Well, I can ask you all kinds of well, questions if you'd like, if you'd like me to ask no, you I have, questions. I have to have time. And, uh, um, Doc, we are back. Your Uri was telling me you, you, you don't feel, what, strong tonight? I don't Is that... feel strong. It's not all tonight. Right now I'm, feel, I'm feeling being pressed and then I can't... Well, no, I'm can't not trying to press you, I really not. But, you no, know, you're only I'm... telling me, well, will you try that or that? Well, I thought that was the idea of... Uh, of uh, no, I'm not, no, I'm not trying to put you down. Much to my surprise, the Tonight Show episode didn't have much effect on Uri Geller's career. Neither did the book that I wrote about him. But eventually, his star faded. So that was just a small sample of the amazing James Randi completely fooling Uri Geller. He wouldn't let him go anywhere near the props. His normal routine was to mess with the props before the show to get an idea of what was filled with water, what the drawings were, mess with things. But... James Randi figured out everything he needed to do to stop Uri Geller from having any idea what any of this stuff was. Why? Because, as James Randi said, not me, don't sue me, Uri Geller was a fraud. Okay, next up, a classic. The Cottingly Fairies. Now, these are photos, they're five photos, taken by Elsie Wright and Francis Griffiths. They're two young cousins who lived in Cottingly, near Bradford in England in 1917. These photos were amazing. They showed these little girls surrounded by fairies. And these pics remained popular for a very long time. In 1919, two years after they were taken, Elsie's mother attended a lecture on spiritualism and showed the photos to the speaker, asking him if, quote, they might be true after all. The speaker brought the photos to the attention of Harold Snelling to examine them. Snelling declared the photos were, quote, genuine, unfaked photographs of single exposure, open-air work, showing movement in all fairy figures, and there is no trace whatsoever of studio work involving card or paper models, dark background, painted figures, etc. Well, sorry, Snelling, you were wrong. But let's continue the story. The pictures came to the attention of writer Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who used them to illustrate an article on fairies he had been commissioned to write 
for the Christmas 1920 edition of The Strand magazine. Doyle said the pictures were perfect and clear visible evidence of psychic phenomena. It wasn't until the early 1980s, so it's been a long time, that Elsie and Francis admitted that the photographs were faked using cardboard cutouts of fairies copied from a popular children's book at the time. Here's where it gets weird. Francis maintained that the fifth and final photograph was genuine. Now guess who debunked these photos, though? If you guessed James Randi, give yourself a prize, because I don't have any for you. So, sorry, fairy lovers. I believe the fairies are out there, but these pictures are not real. And, frankly, it's shocking it took so long to debunk them. All right, guys, we're here at the final one. The big one. The Amityville Horror. Here's the BS story. On November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo shot and killed six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue with a Marlin rifle and a handgun. A little over a year later, George and Kathy Lutz bought that house with everything still inside it. Now, George had heard of the murders, so to be on the safe side, they called a priest to bless the house. The story goes that something evil happened. In fact, it was so evil that the priest himself was actually driven out of the house by an angry, disembodied voice and actually had blisters on his hands like a stigmata from the demon inside. Let me cruise through the rest of these sightings. Uh, the daughter saw a friendly pig named Jody, and the family started to see him too. They would see the pig through the infamous windows of the house. A sculpted lion came to life, walked around the house, and even bit George Lutz. An unseen force ripped doors from the hinges and slammed cabinets closed. I'll read that one to you again. An unseen force ripped doors from the hinges and slammed cabinets closed, breaking the doors in both the cabinets and outside the house. Noxious green slime oozed from the ceiling, a biblical scale of swarm of insects attacked the family. They saw a demonic face with glowing red eyes peering into their house at night. And apparently, it even left cloven hoofed footprints in the morning snow surrounding the house. George Lutz would wake up every night at the exact moment that Butch killed his family. Kathy developed strange red marks on her chest and levitated two feet off the ground. George saw her transform into a hideous old hag. That's just mean, George. Uh, let's see, a crucifix on the wall constantly rotated itself upside down. And the family, the Lutz family, were driven out of the house by the entity after only 28 days. If that wasn't bad enough, supposedly the local Shinnecock Indians, I apologize Native Americans, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's S-H-I-N-N-E-C-O-C-K, Native Americans used the same property as a sort of insane asylum for their sick and dying Mm-hmm. Sure they did. Let's start with that one. This Native American tribe, the Shinnecock, nor any other Native American tribes, ever lived anywhere near the present-day Amityville. In fact, the nearest Shinnecock settlement was 70 miles away. Don't believe me, though. This info comes from the Shinnecocks themselves, and you can find it on their website. So check one for bullshit. How about that priest? Let's go to him. His name was Father Precarero, and he was the priest who tried to bless that house that got the stigmata, allegedly attacked, and thrown out. Well, he reports that nothing unusual happened during his visit, and no attack or evil threat of any kind took place. Now, he did express a concern about evil spirits to George Lutz based on the house's history, but he was just saying, these brutal murders happened all over inside this house. There's gonna be some residue from that. 
Now, there are some reports, including one affidavit by Pecoraro himself, who stated that he never visited the house at all, but only spoke to the Lutzes over the phone. So I don't know what to make of that one. At the very least, he said nothing ever happened. Whether he actually showed up there or not, depending where you get your information from, it's kind of sketchy. In the book, they named the priest Father Mancuso, and he is the only priest who ever got blisters and a ghostly warning, the bullshit fake priest. So again, they were there for only 28 days. They were terrified the entire time. Surely they called the police, right? Nope. How about some friends? Nope. Talk to the neighbors? Nope. Do they hire more priests, maybe? How about no priests at all? So as I'm sure you guys all know, they wrote a book about the incident and made a ton of cash. Except for, once the cash started rolling in, Lutz and Weber, the guys who wrote the book, sued each other and just about everybody else. The claims as breach of contract, misappropriation of names, and mental distress... The judge eventually threw everything out of court, along with a very stern lecture, supposedly, about the book being a work of fiction. Need more proof it's BS? Well, the psychics brought to investigate the house were none other than Ed and Lorraine Warren. <coughs> Bullshit. <coughs> Need more? Well, no doors or windows in the house were found to have ever been ripped off their hinges. In fact, all were found completely undamaged and securely mounted with their original hardware. Like I said earlier, the local police department records indicate no calls or visits to the property during the 28 days, despite a number of such events happening in the book. And the same goes for the neighbors. No neighbors reported any disturbances or incidents at all, despite what was written in the book. You remember those cloven hoof prints that were found in the morning snow? Well, no snow fell during the period that they lived there. Basically, what had happened was the exorcist had came out only two years before. It was hugely successful. Everybody was talking about the devil. It was the quickest and easiest way to make some cash, as far as I'm concerned, of what they did. The idea might have come from a meeting that George Lutz had in the house. Now, he supposedly met with Butch's defense attorney, William Weber. Remember I mentioned Weber earlier? Well, he was the defense attorney for Butch, the guy that murdered his old family. They never said it, but according to William Weber's admissions in later years, that meeting was for them to create this hoax of a story. They were just doing it to make some money. They made up the haunting and also made a ton of cash. So again, I take no pleasure in debunking the Amityville horror. It's a great movie. It's a great book. It scared the hell out of me when I was younger. Would I live in that house nowadays? Yeah, of course I would. Sure, a bunch of people murdered there, but no one who has lived in that house since the Lutz have reported any paranormal activity at all. None. Not a creak, not a moan, not a glass being pushed over, nothing. It is a quiet, nice house in a nice neighborhood. Okay, that just about does it with the debunks. I could ask you a million questions about everything you just heard, but here's my question I want to ask you guys. Do you still believe in any of the ones on this list that I just debunked. When I was talking about them, were you going, well, that's bullshit, Kurt, that's totally real. Were you surprised by any of these? Or did you even know about any of these? With all of these debunks, I wanna point out one thing. I still believe in ghosts, demons, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, hauntings, possessions, and a ton more paranormal stuff. Debunking one thing does not mean that everything is fake. There's a dumb saying going around, if you want to believe in anything, you have to believe in everything. No, you don't. No, no, no. No, you don't. There are fake things, and then there are things that science can't explain, that skeptics can't debunk. 
that we just don't understand how or why it's happening. I did this episode to debunk a lot of the fake crap that is online because when I listen to paranormal podcasts that's not my own, which I never listen to because I don't like listening to my own voice, but when I listen to other paranormal podcasts and they start talking about something that I've debunked within minutes, yet they are wholeheartedly saying it is true and it happened, they're doing it for the ratings. I get that. If I told you guys that everything on this list was real and here's why, it's scarier and I'm sure I'd get more listeners. I have gotten a lot of complaints about my debunking. Why do I do it? Because again, there are real stuff, there are fake stuff, and there are stuff that we can't explain in the middle too. But the fake stuff, I'm gonna call out every time. There is just too much creepypasta bullshit out there, and it's ruining the genuine cases as far as I'm concerned. And I love creepypasta. Tell me a good ghost story. It'll scare the hell out of me. Haunting on House Hill? Fucking scary. Loved it. If you would have said, and that's 100% true, I'd call it out as bullshit, just like I called out another Netflix show called Haunting as bullshit. The first episode I was able to debunk in minutes. The one about the mom who hanged herself after she killed her two kids? Debunked it within minutes. That guy was an actor. It's not real. The second episode is even more bullshit, and I stopped watching it after that because based on a true story is just that. They take a kernel of truth, and then they put a bunch of bullshit around it. So enough of the bullshit paranormal podcasts and the bullshit paranormal websites that are regurgitating the same crap over and over and over. Don't let some bullshit website say that something is true if it's easily debunked, and that's exactly what these are. They are easily debunkable. I don't want to spend any more time than I have to debunking things because I'd rather be learning about real paranormal things I'd never heard or telling you all about my favorite real paranormal topics. Last week, I believe it was, on the Patreon page, I shared my favorite Sasquatch story ever. Now that's for patrons only, but it's such a good one. It can't be debunked. It's an amazing story that I think everybody should hear, but I saved it for my favorites. You want to hear it? You got to go over to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac. As always, I am your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Hey, <laughs>